Ladies and gentlemen, now hosting the Rizzo cast, put your hands together for Steven Risotto. What is happening, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 104 of Rizzo cast. I'm Steven Risotto, and today we are joined by a very special guest. Uh, it is longtime Bay Area sports writer and media personality Michael Urban joins the show. He used to cover the Oakland A's for a better part of a decade for MLB.com, did some work with what was then called CSN Bay Area, uh, 95.7 The Game, San Francisco Examiner. He's been everywhere. Uh, Michael Urban joins the show. Michael, how you doing? Welcome. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I, haven't, uh, I have not had the pleasure of seeing or hearing one of your podcasts. And now that I've been a guest, I'll have to make a point of watching it when you post. Awesome. I appreciate that. There's a lot of good guests. I'm sure some of them you might have come across in your career. Uh, but I, I did want to have you on because I'm finally getting around to, and I was gifted uh, a copy of your book by uh, a guy that I played baseball with in high school. And I'm finally getting around uh, to reading it. Uh, for those of you that don't know, it's called Aces, the last season on the mound with the Oakland A's big three. Of course, that's Barry Zito, Mark Mulder and Tim Hudson. Uh, I'm a few chapters in really enjoying it. Um, it. It's it's almost been 10 years since you've written this book. So do you have any like reflections on uh, about it now and, you know, kind of looking back at that process? You know, it's funny. I was talking to um, Barry Zito, who's now an author as well. Uh, good friend of mine okay i read it the week that it came out and hated it i and part of it was because while i was writing it i'm covering the a's for mlb.com which is way more work if you're with mlb.com than if you're with a newspaper right um so i had that going on i had a 16 month old at home daughter and a pregnant wife who's eight months pregnant and my deadlines for the book. So I was just all over the place. And I, I just thought there's no way this book is going to be coherent. I read it and it was as bad as I thought it was, but everybody else who read it, you know, thought it was great. So um, three days ago, Stephen, I actually read it for the second time and it's a hell of a lot better than I thought it was. I mean, I, now that I've had some time, uh, there's some stuff in there that's pretty amazing. You know, um, I don't want to do spoiler, but you know, Zito was bad in the first half. Mulder was bad in the second half. Huddy was kind of in the middle. Uh, and just the dynamic between the three, particularly Mulder and Zito, because um, Mulder up until 2004, which, yeah, four was the season that I wrote about. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> He had never struggled with, with anything. And he would kind of laugh at Barry for thinking too much and all. And, you know, Mark Mulder's just Johnny baseball, no problem. And during the first half when Barry was struggling, he wasn't like, not in a mean way, but he was saying, yeah, Barry, I'll try anything, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm just not into that kind of thing. I figured it out on my own. And then the second half, he starts pitching really poorly and, amazingly enough after a while in the dugout he slides next to Barry and says hey man can we talk about what's going on in your head it's like pitching Dr. Zito from Mark Mulder of all people um 
And it's amazing his can his candor, just admitting that he's never like everything in his life. He says he's he's been able to if something goes wrong, pretty much fix it. And he admits I haven't faced a whole lot of adversity in my life. Um, so he's he's a trip to cover. He um, he comes off in the book uh, as arrogant in the first half and vulnerable in the second half. Um, Zito's always that vulnerable guy, but, um, he really caught fire in the second half. Huddy was out for a while. Tim Hudson was out for a while. He came back with about, I think a month to play or so. And they had a three game lead with 10 games to go, uh, and ended up blowing it. Mulder on the, the final season, it came down to the final season against the angels, right? Three game series, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, there was a lot of talk about pulling Mulder and not letting him start. Uh, but Billy Bean said, no, this guy's, you know, he's, our, he's a stud. He'll, he'll figure it out. And obviously he didn't figure it out. He didn't make it past the like second or third inning. And it was like, poof, playoffs were over. And it was shocking because every year that I had been there, they'd made the playoffs. I mean, this is what they do. Uh, and so for them not to make it was a huge surprise. And a lot of people thought that, it would make it would hurt my book, um, and I feel like no, it's it's the opposite because you're adding all this you know human drama, which is what I like to highlight as a journalist anyway. You know, I mean, gamers and all that you can find them everywhere, uh, but you can't find everywhere something intimate, for lack of a better word, something um, non-baseball that gives you a sense of what this person is because there's actually a real person inside this athlete's body. And I think some fans don't, don't know that, but uh, you read this book, you'll see how, um, how vulnerable these guys really are. I mean, it's, confidence is so fragile at that level. And there's just a lot of human drama going on. And that's why, that's probably why I like it more than I liked it 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, looking back, I'm, I'm sure, uh, sure it's a little bit better now. Uh, and all those guys are doing their own thing now. You know, Hudson's doing some, and I guess all three of them had different personalities, as you mentioned. Zito, kind of the the vulnerable one, kind of the wild card. You know, he didn't know where his head was at. And then Hudson is kind of the you know the good old country guy. And then Mulder's kind of like the jock in a, in a way. And they're all kind of doing their own things now that kind of relate to that. Yeah. You know, Hudson's doing some coaching right now at Auburn. Zito's making his music, you know, Mulder's just, I don't know if you've heard about his golfing, just a badass golfer. Yeah. Um, are you at all shocked with the path that those guys have kind of chosen to go down? Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. If, if you would have asked me before they were done, I, I knew Barry was going to music. I mean, that I've known that forever. Um, and that was his, that's been his plan for a long time. And Huddy loves Auburn so much. And I could never imagine him being away from baseball all that long because he just loves it. He loves the competition. Um, there's nothing about the game that doesn't, you know, get him off. So you got a pretty good read there. Um, and Mulder, oh, by the way, for golf, I saw him hit a ball 250 out in a trap and he stuck the green with a five wood. Wow. <laughs> Who does that, you know? Um, and he doesn't practice golf or anything, but he's won the, I think he won the Tahoe championships or something, but yeah, Mulder 
in a country club, sure, that's, I think that's fairly predictable too. You, you nailed it, man. I mean, no doubt about it. Barry, um, he just built a home studio and he's already been on the Billboard charts a couple of times. And, but his plan is he doesn't want to be um, an artist. He wants to be a producer. He wants to be behind the scenes. And, you know, his dad arranged for Nat King Cole and hung out with Frank Sinatra and them. And his mom was a, uh, was a singer. So, you know, just music's in the Zito blood. So he's taking advantage of it. And I, um, there, there's nothing, I've never seen him fail at something that he really wants to put effort into. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him walking across the stage at, at a Grammy sometime in the next five or six years. Oh, that would be awesome. And I know um, you mentioned that you're, you're good friends with them and you guys have a good relationship. When he signed that deal to come to San Francisco, did you think there was any change in mentality? Cause you know, he did have those struggles for some guys, you know, they tend to, you know, slow down a little bit, you know, they got the money in the bag. Was Zito one of those guys or, or was it just, you know, you know, was it something else? It was something else. You know, when, when Barry and I first met, the thing that I was drawn to is how, how real he was. He was just himself. And his mom says she's been that since he was eight years old. They had a date night on Fridays. Every Friday, they would go to a movie, him and his mom. And then we, he's in high school, and a bunch of his friends, they kind of run into him. And um, Roberta, his mom, said, Barry, why don't you go hang out with your friends? You know, nobody wants to hang out with their mom on the weekend. And she said he just put his arm around her, and he says, we've got Friday date night. Um, I just thought that was a really cool story. Yeah. And you mentioned that off air that you were really happy for him when he redeemed himself after being left off the playoff roster in 2010 by the Giants. He redeemed himself two years later in the in the postseason and pitched a really still one of the prettiest games I've seen in St. Louis in game five. Yeah, that's that's one of the more significant games in Giant history. Right. Yeah. And and Barry was obviously a huge part of it. You know, everyone was worried because he had been pitching really poorly. Uh, and then remember that was the hashtag rally Zito, rally Zito yeah. was going on. Um, but, you know, you asked me, how did he change with the money? He changed significantly with the money. And it wasn't like I have money and I'm going to slack more. It was look Barry's in, in his own head all the time. And so he went from being that guy that just was him and he was open, accessible, funny, honest, and just generally free. And um, he got to San Francisco, and there was none of that. He, he spent the first four years of that contract trying to live up to the contract, right? Um, but he was pitching really poorly, and so he got in his head. And when he gets his own head, I mean, the brain and the body are, you know, it's a big deal, that connection. And so if you don't have confidence, you're going to struggle against big league hitters. And that's kind of part of what he went through. Um, I forgot. I lost my train of thought. Where were we? Yeah. And then, uh, you know, Zito, the thing with Zito that I remember is, you know, because Kane started the clincher and in, in the championship series, and then they were announcing who was going to pitch game one of the World Series. And Bruce Bochy said, well, you know, Justin Verlander's going for them. We're going to throw out Barry Zito. And everybody's like, what? Barry Zito in game one? And he pitched really well. And uh, it was good to see him uh, get his ring. And 
Um, who knows how much involved he wants to get in, in, in the baseball world still. I know he still comes out to a few of the events the Giants had. I know he was at Bochy's last uh, game in 2019. I think he's, he's still going to be around. Yeah, I mean, the Giants do a good job of bringing back former players and celebrating them. And so, yeah, he'll be, he'll be back, but he's not going to be in, you know, involved in baseball like the way Huddy is. He's not going to be coaching or anything. Um, when his last pitch was thrown, he has the capacity to just block everything out and move on to the next. And so that's why I remember when they pulled him, the AAA season had ended. And remember when uh, Huddy was with the Giants? Yes. And, and the A's called Barry up from AAA. And that, that was really cool, but they both were terrible on the mound. Um, I mean, bad, like one guy uh, hit like three homers for the giants. <laughs> they, they got like, they were both terrible, but then when they walked off the mound, when they were yanked, they got standing ovations, which, yeah. which I thought was really cool. Um, yeah, and Zito probably walked into the clubhouse and got a call and said, Hey, the studio's done. <laughs> so, right. so. Exactly. Um, and you mentioned that those teams were really good and, and they were, and, you know, you covered those teams in the so-called money ball era. I mean, you lived through it. I mean, at the time, did you realize, you know, something out of the ordinary was going on with the way baseball was kind of adapting and kind of the way it was moving. Now every team has shifted towards, you know, their own money ball. I mean, all of it's kind of different, but all links to the same theme, I guess. So did you know what was going on at the time? Was it easy to kind of sniff out? No. I mean, that, that was kind of the very start of it. There's, you know, a lot of people make the mistake of uh, thinking that Moneyball is all about on-base percentage, right? Um, but really what it was, it was a business book. Baseball was the backdrop, and um, it was a beautifully written book. You know, the guy's very good at what he does. Yeah, great reporting, by the way. Michael Lewis, that is. Michael Lewis, yeah. Husband of who? Oh man, I think I've, I think I, husband of, is it like an actress or something or like yeah. a politician? You might be too young. <laughs> I might be, I don't know who. I'm going to, you're going to have to work on it. And by the end of the show, you'll remember. Okay. Okay. Right. <laughs> I, I will, I will think of that. Now that's going to mess me up. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, you probably will. <laughs> You'll, you'll lose you train of thought too damn it yeah, yeah. uh but i i guess uh you know brad pitt and jonah hill star in this movie it's the version of michael lewis's book moneyball and like okay michael urban you're watching this for the first time what is running through your mind because like it is completely i read the book you know a few years ago it's a polar opposite from the movie so like when you when you went and watched this movie with the family or whoever you went and watched it with what was going through your mind uh, first of all, I knew that Art Howe was going to be pissed with how he was portrayed. Uh, Art is one of my favorite people in baseball. Uh, awesome. And they didn't miss a beat when Maka took over, but they've got, you know, Art was very fit. Uh, he was a professional ball player himself. And for whatever, whatever age he was at, I mean, I'm talking fit, right? He's He's really strong. And so every day he would work out. I mean, if you saw him weather, without a shirt, uh, he's beach ready. Uh, my wife at the time, 
loved Art Howe. Like every time they showed him on TV, my wife would go, Rawr, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, he's like a hundred years old. Come on. And she goes, no, he's not. He's in great shape and he's in a position of power. Girls like that. Um, but he didn't like his portrayal at all. I mean, that was super predictable. They had, you know, a great actor and was it Philip Seymour Hoffman? Yeah. But he looked nothing like, nothing like Maka. And some of those conversations, there's no way they happened. I think the movie took a lot of um, editorial liberties, let's just say. And like the Coke machine, you know, where David Justice is trying to get a Coke and they charge, that didn't happen, you know? Welcome uh, to Oakland. What's that? Welcome to Oakland. That's what they said in the movie. Yeah. But you got to pay for Coke. <laughs> but they didn't, and that didn't exist. And so I'm, I'm like, I'm looking for, when I'm watching a game that has baseball in it, I'm looking for how good a baseball players are. These, these actors get, you know, trained appropriately. In fact, I have a, a friend who owns a company that actually teaches actors how to play various sports, you know, when there's movies like that um by the way are you a gamer uh i i play mlb the show that's about it that's the only video game that i played baseball in the baseball side <laughs> um who you got who do you play as the ace giants oh i i switch so, so there's times where i where i run a franchise mode and i do like a random number generator and i have some of the old rosters i have some of the current ones and i do a random number generator and I try and trade and, you know, wheel and deal and make my team successful. That's the fun of it. So yeah. random number generator. That's what I do. Okay. Gotcha. So, yeah, a random number generator. Sometimes I go with the A's, you know, and you got to play uh, 81 games at the Coliseum. Um, right. Yeah, it's it's fun. And sometimes I play the create your own player, whatever it's called, and, you know, try to make myself or take myself back to my glory days a few years ago. <laughs> A few so, years ago. Yeah, a few years ago, high school baseball player. Throwing to high- I went to high school at Archbishop Reardon High School in San Francisco. Where? Archbishop Reardon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a couple friends that went to Reardon. They have a good sports program there. Yeah, they're they're in the same league as – so it's it does suck a little bit because you have to face the schools down south, like the Valley Christian and Mitty and St. Francis and Sarah – um, and then, you know, you have SI and SH in the city, but it was tough. It was tough. It was not easy, but it was a lot of fun. A lot of great memories there. So but, who, who was Reardon's rival? I know that, um, Sacred Heart and what's the other one there? St. Ignatius, Sacred yeah, yeah. Heart and St. Ignatius. Those are yeah. probably the two city rivals. Um, and then Sarah, to an extent, there's a lot of peninsula kids that go to Sarah yeah. Um, some make the trip up to Reardon, but um, yeah, San Francisco high schools. I mean, they're they uh, a lot of whenever I wear my Reardon stuff still in public, everybody comments on it. Oh, you're a crusader. So <laughs> nice. Yeah. I mean, once a crusader, always a crusader, right? Yeah. No, 100%. Um, and I was also going to ask you about, you know, because the, uh, the the game has has, you know, baseball's shifted in a a different direction, I guess, in terms of um, rule changes and strategy adjustments. We're seeing the DH now. We're seeing, um, you know, more emotion in the game with some of the younger players. 
What is I love one that, by the way? Yeah. What is one of the changes that that sticks out to you whenever you flip on a game that you either like or dislike? Uh, I don't think the game's all that different. And I don't think it'll ever change all that much, but there's cert- we're certainly in an era where, you know, the, the only three possible outcomes and we're hearing launch angle and, and bat speed and all that. Um, the A's weren't even doing that back during Moneyball. And again, I think I lost my train of thought with Moneyball. It's not even a baseball book. It's a business book. Yeah. And, it's a, and it's about Billy's ability to take advantage of, you know, areas in the market that a lot of people aren't paying attention to. And at the time the book was written, uh, on-base percentage wasn't that big of a deal. And it, but it wasn't just about on-base, right? Um, so people who think it was, I mean, it wasn't a, I mean, bottom line, Barry, Mark, and Tim were barely even mentioned in that book, right? And yeah. they're the guy who won the game on, on the field. That's part of the reason I wrote my book, um, because I just thought, my God, somebody needs to know that it wasn't all about Chad Bradford and Scott Hadaber. You know, again, Michael, Michael did a great job um, with that. But, yeah, I, I thought the, the big three got screwed. Um, did and they the, movie, the movie didn't even mention Miguel Tejada or Eric Chavez. Right. I mean, that's crazy. Those guys were anchors there in Oakland. And, and that was what was so fun about um, covering the A's because once a guy got called up for AAA, you kind of know, okay, this guy's probably already really good and he'll prove it here and then he'll get traded here. I mean, it's just, I think with the trade of Olsen and Chapman, mm-hmm. I think a lot of A's fans were just done. You know, I've heard them say they're done before, but I think this might very well have been the straw that broke the camel's back and i feel bad for mark Kotze, who i covered and um he's walking into a, an ugly situation and i think the fans are going to stay away in droves like there's a chance you're going to see some attendance in like the 1500 range if not less yeah i mean we saw 2500 one night on opening week which is absurd um mm-hmm. and you mentioned mark Kotze and um uh, he's, uh, of course, in his first year, skipper of the A's. Uh, he wore the green and gold from 2004 to 2007 as a player. And uh, you you messaged me, you texted me and said that he was fascinated with the way the media works. Um, so I guess, um, what are some of your fond memories of, of covering Mark as a player? Uh, his ability, he's got just an incredible, uh, hang on just a second. Can you see me? Yep. Okay. A call came in. Um, he's just, he's, he's so comfortable. And when you're around him, he makes you comfortable. He's always calculating, you can tell. There's always something going on in his brain. Like um, one eye is over here looking at something that he wants to deal with after he's dealing with what's right in front of him. But he will, but he will never. <clears throat> can you see when calls are popping up on my screen, by the way? I just go. It just goes. Oh, <laughs> is there another one? Oh the God. people, li- the people listening to this are just gonna have a great time. I see it. Just it just the face goes away, and that's it. But I could still hear you. So okay. my phone just rang too. So my I just had to turn my phone off 
Um, and it, it came up as a, as a no caller ID and whenever it came up. So I usually I answer that and it's either like, does your air duct, do you need air duct cleaners? And it's no, I don't. Or do you want to sell your house? No, I don't. I don't even know. I still live at home. Like, what are you talking about? So <laughs> yeah. yeah, I get, I get emails saying we, um, we would like to buy your house and we'll give you top dollar, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I'm not in a house. I, I'm in an apartment. And I can't sell that to you. <laughs> so it's obviously, obviously just automated trash. Yeah, it's it's the landlord trying to bait you into like right. fraud or something. Right. Yeah. So, um, um Kate, yeah, Kate, like I said, with his fascination with the media, uh, he's just curious about everything. And he's always like I said, he's always kind of up to something. But I think he already has had his eyes on managing while he was playing and that's why i think in retrospect that's why he was asking all those questions because he wanted to, to know and he actually would sit next to uh maka at times during maka's pregame session and just because he wanted to hear the questions and what context and is there a pick, pecking order and everything and yeah, now I'm convinced that was just because he knew what he wanted to do, and he picked up a lot of knowledge uh, while he was here. I, I haven't been able to get out there, but I can't wait to see him. I mean, he and Jason Kendall, they were, like, attached at the hip when when they were together. And when they traded Kendall, you know, Mark didn't have his guy anymore. It was a bummer. But while Kendall and Katze were there, man, I got some stories for you that I'll, I'll tell you off the air. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And I guess we could stay on this topic and talk about kind of the, the daily grinds that you had as a beat writer and, you know, deadlines, you know, being at the park every day, all day traveling. Um, you know, you did it for 10 years. Is that literally all, you know, is that literally how long people survive doing that, you know, for 10 years? Um, you know, take me through that experience as a beat writer for MLB.com. Okay. Um, well, first of all, Susan Slesser has, she must have a massive following. Oh, she's uh, great. Yeah. Yeah. And she's, she was, I was on the A's beat with her for a while. She's on the Giants beat now. Um, They're really nice too. Oh yeah. Super nice. And she's, she's really good at writing the day off features. Um, and that's what I, I really like doing that the most too, because it's not numbers and stats and runs and all that. You, you get to pick, or at least at MLB.com, I got to pick who was going to be the subject of, of the feature. And it was, it was just cool to have that kind of freedom. Um, MLB.com, when I first got there, before there, I was working for a company called Quokka Sports. Um, <clears throat> they folded like a, a bunch of other dot-coms, but we partnered with NBC to do NBCOlympics.com. We did Final4.net for the NCAA tournament and we did uh, golf.com for NBC. <clears throat> I was the co-managing editor for the Sydney Olympics during the games. Um, <clears throat> and that was a great experience because 135 people in San Francisco and maybe 200 people in Sydney. And I'm supposed to keep track of all that stuff. <laughs> um, it, was, it was pretty overwhelming. And to have an MLB.com job at the same time was tough. But the reason, the way I got to MLB.com is after it folded, um, me and some coworkers were in a car heading to, ta ta to Tahoe. 
we were just going to gamble and drink and try to put that, you know, out of our heads. And while we're all in the same car, I get a call on my cell phone and it's from Din Mann, the editor in chief at MLB.com. And he says, hey, buddy, sorry you lost your job. What do you think you're covering the A's for MLB.com? And I was like, how do I know you? <laughs> I mean, how do I know you're not just a jackass? And he said, I just, um, I love watching sports. And he says, I've, I've seen you play sports and I've read your stories. Um, so yeah, we're in the car and I get the call from, from Din Man and he's offering me a job. And I'm like, can I, can I call you later? Because, you know, all my buddies just lost their jobs too. And in two days, I get a job covering baseball in the Bay Area. It was just like a dream job. So I did that for the first, um, as the A's B writer, I did that for one full year. And when the A's got bounced from the playoffs, they, I stayed on. They would move me to, to other series to cover like the, the visiting team in some series, right? So I got to see a lot of the league. I got to meet a lot of the players. I had a lot of editorial freedom. And the next year, um, they asked me if I wanted to be a national writer and only do features. And I, I didn't like covering games very much. So that was right up my alley. I mean, I just loved it. And for that year, I would bounce all around the country um, talk to the biggest stars and um, like I did I did something on Cal Ripken he was retiring mm -hmm. and it was video and audio of the best shortstops uh, best current shortstops and it was uh, Miguel Garcia Parra Jeter Vizquel and who am I missing A-Rod A-Rod correct um, and so as soon as everybody heard this is for Cal, they're like, oh yeah, no problem. I mean, everybody was dead cool, except A-Rod. <laughs> he was, and it was their last time in New York and he was actively ducking me, you know? Wow. And, and the, the Yankees PR guy was help was helping. Like he would call my cell and tell me, oh, he's in the dugout. And I'd go in the dugout and I'm like, you seen A-Rod to, you know, someone I'd seen. And he said, I think he's in the showers or the cage. And so this PR guy was just trying to, you know, dog me. But I got creative. I had my intern. He was basically staked out on the uh, um, the entrance to the visitors clubhouse. I mean, he had a stakeout, like coffee and donuts, man. And as soon as A-Rod went in, he just texted me like, and I said, don't text me a big long sentence. Just text me any letter. And that means it's a go. So he does. I walk in with him and A-Rod catches me out of the corner of his eye and just slumps like, oh man. And so I go up and I explain it to him and he goes, you know what, I, I really don't, I don't have the time. I got to get to this. And I go, okay, well, I, I guess we're cool. Um, Cause we already got Jeter and blah, blah. And it, he goes, wait, Jeter's doing it? And I said, yeah. yeah. And he goes, okay, I'll do it. And it's like, that's, that was A-Rod as a, as a player in a nutshell, right? Um, he just can't, and he has the ability, the inability to say things with any cooth or with any, I mean, he's, he's polished on the broadcast, but when he was a player, he would say stuff I think that he thought made him sound smart, smart and it just made him sound dumb. 
he tried to say things that um, he felt probably made him appear humble when it was actually, you know, the opposite. Um, but fascinating guy to cover, no doubt about it. And and he, uh, I remember there's one story where uh, Jeter had just gotten paid by the Yankees, got like his first big money deal. And uh, Jeter went and told, I think it was like the New York Post uh, or, or something like that. Or no, it was some magazine or it was some uh, tabloid magazine. And he said, you know, Jeter's good, but I don't think he's 150 million good. I think he should have gotten, you know, 125 or something like that. And, you know, A-Rod had already gotten paid at that point, got the big money deal with the Rangers. And um, Jeter had heard this. And Jeter's like, oh, this guy, you know, we they were good friends at that point. And, you know, Jeter just kind of ignored him. And then A-Rod went to his house to apologize. And Jeter was like out at a club or something and like made him wait all day. So uh, I guess they've never, they have not been great since I know they played together, but it always got the feeling that they didn't necessarily like each other. I don't know. It was, you know, I felt like Jeter was more of the guy that kind of, you know, did not like the off the field headlines while A-Rod thrived in it, you know, had the, had the marriage stuff, had the PED stuff, the biogenesis. I mean, I mean, talk about two polar opposites playing side by side. Just <laughs> it wiping the ball out of Bronson Arroyo's glove. Yeah. ALCS. He's always in the news for the wrong reasons. And, right. and here he is as a, as a broadcaster. And uh, I mean, he's all right in the booth, I think. Uh, I, think I think he's he, great. I do. It pains me to say that because I can't stand a fraud. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm trying to separate the player and the broadcaster. And I do think he does a good job broadcasting. Who does a good job broadcasting? A-Rod. Who does a good job broadcasting? Say it again. <laughs> Am I getting set up for something? No, no. A-Rod. I was, I was trying to make you say A-Rod does a good job, and I was going to cut out the broadcasting part, so I was just going to have you say A-Rod does a good job. So <laughs> and then I was going to pin that on like your next A-Rod job resume. Does a good job. There we go. There we go. Taking that out, pinning that everywhere. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I understand you were a pitcher as well at, at USF and, you know, you played some college baseball. Do you think that helped you when you got into media? Cause you know, you could maybe write about some stuff and you have an insight to things that, you know, the other writers may not have. Yeah. It, it helped me immeasurably. I mean, it's, it's huge. A second. Got me. Yeah. That, that was probably another call trying to get you on the mound for them for a team. <laughs> So like did an, I go dark there? Yeah, I got you back now. An, an independent league call you? <laughs> What's that? Was that an independent league calling, asking if you're available to throw a few innings? Uh, yeah, I'm good on 30 years rest. Yeah. <laughs> what did you have? Give me a scattering report of you on the mound. Um, when I was 16, I was clocked at 89. Wow. And at that, and at that age, that's all you need, really. Um. When I was 20, I was throwing 83. You would, oh. think, that would, you would think that it would be faster, right? But um, I grew up where my high school football coach, um, he was my baseball coach, and he didn't know anything about baseball. <laughs> and the summer league coaches were, you know, jokes. And, you know, because I'm 16 and throwing gas, which is makes, makes a guy feel pretty good about himself. So... Anytime they asked me to throw, I would throw. And they, I'm sure their inner workings were like, 
Um, well, he throws hard and strikes guys out. Let's just put him in. And there were no like pitch limits or inning limits back then. And so I would pitch. I remember I pitched a 17 inning complete game. And then the next day came in in relief and pitched four innings. Um, that's not good for your arm. <laughs> and especially when you go home and throw a tennis ball as fast as you can at your garage playing strikeout, right? Um, never iced my arm, all of that. So I just, I lost that fastball and that ability to, to get guys out basically. And until Keith Comstock, I don't know if you remember the name, former big leaguer, played for the Giants a little bit, um, coached at Kenyatta College, which I went to USF for a year and I just wasn't ready at 17 years old. And I missed basketball too much. So I, I went back to my hometown, JC, um, and played both sports, basketball and baseball. Champions in both sports, by the way. We, yeah. knocked, off your, we knocked off your skyline. Uh, Trojans. Trojans. Yeah. yeah. Rich basketball history there, though. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- where were we? Sorry. Yeah, it went back to Kenyatta to play basketball. Right. I thought, no, no, that was just kind of an aside. Yeah, and it's very hot in Kenyatta, by the way. Very hot down there. It's in the hills, right? It's one of the new campuses. Very warm every time I've been there, at least. Um, are we thinking of the same thing? Kenyatta College? Yeah, it's been there for a while. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I always thought it was one of the newer schools. Uh, well, out of, you know, out of the... They just redid the athletic center in the gym. Maybe that's what I'm that. thinking of. Yeah, yeah. They, they definitely make a lot of... Because I actually drove up there by myself one night when I was um, spending the night with my dad because I had an early dentist appointment. So I drove up to see what it looked like, and it was unrecognizable. I mean, everything was so nice and so modern. Mm-hmm. Um, ours was like, it could have been a bad prison. You know, everything yeah. was gray and um, dirty. I know they've redone the baseball field there, too. Uh, yeah. Kenyatta was the smartest move. I ever made because that's when Keith Thumbstock taught me a split finger changeup, and that saved me as a pitcher because it, if I threw it right, and I did almost right away, it had sink. I could turn it, you know, I I could make it bear in on a righty. I could make it fade away from the righty or in on the lefty, and I could throw for strikes. And by by my senior season at USF transferred back there <clears throat> i was throwing 83 but i was throwing that damn change up like 60 percent of the time and i got a lot <laughs> of outs and throwing the change up doesn't take much out of your arm so i was a reliever and every day they would ask me you good to go yep every day um so i hold this i held the school record for appearances in a season um i don't know how special that award is but at least it says I was good enough for them to keep trusting me, you know, and going out there because um, the record died pretty quick. I think two, two day, two years later, my record was gone, um, and I got it. Man, I was a little bit pissed. I shed a tear. <laughs> yeah, you shed a tear. The Hall of Fame uh, plaque. The Hall of Fame plaque no longer says team yeah, leader in appearance. I'm telling you, any any young athlete who doesn't know what they want to do. Um, doesn't know what kind of major they want to get, I would suggest going to junior college and just get those general education credits, which are pretty cheap, 
get them out of the way. Make sure you talk to your academic counselor that those transfers are going to go to the to the school that you want. Um, I think that's. I mean, that's just a common sense thing. I think that's end up going to be on the regular. Yeah, a thousand percent agree. And I've been saying this, you know, I knew ever since out of ever since I was a senior and then, you know, COVID happened and uh, I ended up uh, it ended up being even an even better looking move because all my friends would would go to universities and they would be paying, you know, a lot of money per unit and they would be online. They would be taking online classes because of COVID. Meanwhile, I'm sitting here and I got my whole semester paid for, and it's like $850. It's like, wow, I'm living life high. But, and I get my general education done. Then you transfer and two years you get to spend on your major. So it's like the best possible outcome. Yeah. In those, in those two years that you're at a JC, you're also, I mean, I feel, I feel like this is true. And I, and I see it in my oldest daughter, who's at San Francisco State. <clears throat> By the way, her being at San Francisco State bothers me a little bit. Oh, bothers because come on, keep keep it. Go to USF. I wanted her to go to USF, but it's a tiny campus compared to San Francisco State. You're gonna go there, right? Yeah, San Francisco State. Yep. You're gonna you're gonna live on campus? No, not at least the first year. No. Yeah, but yeah, those those two years are when you're kind of. You're becoming who you're going to be, right? Mm -hmm. You're you're finally you're starting to understand the world and how it works, and um, <clears throat> I wouldn't have that far of a commute because I live in uh, I live in Pacifica, so it's not too Is far. That right? Yeah, Pacifica. Where in Pacifica? In the did back of the... before? No, we did not. In the back of the valley in Pacifica. That was one of my first gigs post graduation. I was the sports editor of the Pacifica Tribune. No way! That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pacific. So did you did you work under Horace Henshaw? Uh, no, he was the sports editor before me. Um, <laughs> and I think after you too, because he's, he's yeah 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 he's he's Mister Pacifica. Um, and, and he works at the ballpark too. He's an usher right outside yeah, yeah. the press box. Yeah, that's um, good for him, man. I mean, he he's an acquired taste, but definitely uh loves the game and wants it you know more than anything just wants to be near it and be a part of it yeah it's a small world i guess <laughs> pacific contribution still going strong yeah um and i know we talked a lot about a's on here We're, we'll wrap it up in just a little bit but on, on the other side of the bay the giants seem to be you know constant thrivers and especially um the last few years and when you made the move to csn and then i guess radio Two. Uh, it was right around the time when the Giants started winning those championships. Um, so what can you say about those years? I know off the air, you, you said that it was really special growing up a Giants fan to watch them win in 2010. Uh, so what was it like kind of watching those championship years from uh, from CSN and some of the radio gigs you had? Uh, well, I actually started doing radio with the Giants. I did the pre and post game shows um, in 2000 seven eight and nine i think and this is when they were bad you know? yeah and they were so bad that we i had a, a regular segment called you know coming down the pike which was talking about the minor leaguers like any way to give fans a positive right um let's come bum garner posey <laughs> while while you're watching you know fred lewis and you know <laughs> right, right. um but yeah 
fast forward to, you know, them winning it all. It was, I'm not afraid to say it, it was an emotional moment for me. You know, I just, I flashed back to um, my dad taking me to, to my first game. Um, he got me on the field somehow during batting practice. And I was like, I don't know, eight or nine years old, just a kid in the candy store. And uh, Vita Blue was my favorite player, uh, my first favorite player because he wore number 14 and he was left-handed and he was badass. And my dad knew that. He knew how much I loved Vida. And so I'm sitting in the dugout all by myself. I don't want to bother anybody. Um, and all of a sudden I see Vida by himself walking straight towards me uh, with a big smile. And he says, you must be Michael. And I said, yeah. And he sits down, pulls the sign ball out of his pocket, um, takes off his batting gloves, uh, gives them to me and he said you know do you need me for an interview or anything like that you know that that's just dead cool and, and you don't you don't get a whole lot of that in um in sports journalism because it's it's such an us against them mentality like the media is the devil and we're not going to give them anything just everything has been umbrellaed and over overly generalized you know um whereas i mean break out of that box you know do something different it's just um there's more than one way to skin a cat and so i'm looking for um i hope this gig is a very creative gig i don't know if i answered your question i know I'm, I, I go all over the place yeah um and you know you you worked at, at 95.7 the game and kmbr you know it's 95.7 is a completely different station now than what it was like you know, just five years ago, it's, it's doing a lot better, uh, especially now it can now compare to KMBR, I guess. So you've worked for both. Was there a difference in terms of, you know, how each one was operated and, you know, kind of their business plan and their programming? Well, I spent more time at, at 95, seven, the game. I'm still an employee of theirs, by the way. I just haven't gotten a schedule <laughs> in forever. Um, I don't know if they fired me. I don't know about it. Um, the differences were super hands-off at KMBR. Like, you can take your show wherever you want, and you probably won't hear about it unless it was god-awful and, you know, controversial. Uh, when I was at the game, I spent more time in the actual offices than I did in KMBR. So I didn't, I didn't know the, um, the office dynamics, how that works at KMBR. It seemed like everybody got along. Um, at the game, pretty hands-on over there. Um, but hey, you can't argue with results. You know, the guy at Nahidi and did turn the game around to an extent. I mean, getting the rights to the Warriors game was obviously huge. Big, uh, yeah. Because at one point, KMBR had, you know, Warriors, Niners, and Giants, and you just can't compete with that. Um, Gabe Kapler, uh, if his next job, his next job needs to be with the A's because I, I think he's perfect for a, a young team that is being molded. I mean, look what he's doing with a relatively young team here in San Francisco. Um, but that would be neat to see him do that. Dude, it looks like somebody took a bite out of your neck. Sure. Oh, oh, the microphone. Yeah. I got my zoom background. That's bleeding in. There you go. Man. Gosh, see, I was hoping that wouldn't happen, but I realized I was in a different position. 
So Dude, it looks like you, you know, three packs a day and you had no <laughs> I had a tumor sticking out of my neck. Yeah. One of those the commercials. <laughs> yeah, the commercials. Right. Yeah. Um, um so the game was more hands-on. KMBR kind of left you alone. But KMBR was um you could make a pretty good case that they got complacent. You know, nobody's ever gonna catch us. And when the game started, that was kind of KMBR's attitude, like, okay, what are you going to cover the A's and the Raiders? Good luck to you. Yeah. Uh, and then we got the Warriors. And I, I think KMBR is a place to be if you already know who you are and what you are as a broadcaster. Um, the game, if you don't know who you are and what you are, you'll get molded into that because there's a, there's a, unofficial leadership that goes on you know and it's not just the bosses that do it some of the veterans do it but the bottom line is everybody on staff seems to get along and you know that's pretty rare so yeah i'd say the biggest difference was kbr hands off you know what you're doing do your thing uh 95 7 the game constant feedback some people get upset by feedback I like getting feedback, even if it's you suck, you know. Yeah. How do you get better if, if nobody's telling you you suck at something? You know what I mean? Yeah. I exactly. know what I'm good at and I know what I suck at. And somebody else points out that I suck at it, then I'm like, okay, maybe we need to fix this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I guess uh it, so is it true that you know if you're on the airways of 95.7 the game and i guess also can is it true that there's an unwritten thing or maybe it is written where you have to refer you cannot refer to kmbr on 95.7 the game airwaves as KMBR. you have to say the other station or like you can't make any references towards the other station is that correct Whew. i'm not full-time but you know i I think it's stupid to say anything about KMBR anyway. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I guess that's true. It's just they're, avoid it altogether. They're King Kong, and we've got to figure out a way to knock them down, you know, and and just and just ripping on the guy, you know, that's King Kong will kick their ass. Yeah. So, um, I'm I'm really curious to see what's going to happen in like five years because. I used to think that there's no way 95.7 will ever catch KBR because KBR is just too entrenched. But I think we did win a month or two at some point. And I could see us, I could honestly see them being neck and neck um, in five years and maybe even, maybe even the game um, forcing KBR to make some changes and, and work a little bit harder because one thing KBR I noticed is they just go guillotine style, man. It's just straight off the head. The producers give you a packet of newspapers and stuff they printed out and everything. And um, they they read it and they put it in the trash and then they go on the air and talk about it. That was that, yeah. you know, right? Red light comes on. All right, let's go. Yeah. All right. So I guess before we wrap it up, um, you know, are you trying to make a comeback in sport? I know you took a little bit of time off, or are you looking to make a comeback in the sports media field? What's kind of next for you? Um, absolutely, I'm trying to get back into it, and I'm I've done some writing for the Examiner recently. I've done some freelance pieces, um, 
non-baseball for from other parts of the country. Um, but what I would really like eventually, I mean, my goal would be to be a color guy in the booth mm. for uh, radio or TV. Um, but I think I lost sight of what I'm, what my gift is, and I paid dearly for it because what my gift is 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 writing and nobody taught me how to write i don't know what an adverb is i don't know any i i just know where the commas go the semicolons innately you know i i, I am a good writer and i think it's really hard to teach somebody to be a good writer in fact i think it's impossible um but radio and tv I think I don't want to say it's easy, but that's that's a skill instead of a talent. In my opinion, that's a skill, not a talent. And you can get polished up on skill. And I, I got up to speed in radio and TV really quickly. But I also started thinking about money and airtime and all that stuff that you should not be thinking about. Right. And so if, if I didn't appreciate it and. I know I probably upset some people, but um, I'm a different guy now and I want to get back into it so that I can do it right, so that I can appreciate it, so I can pause every once in a while and say, you know, this is awesome. I never did that in the first run. I got my dream job and started bitching again, you know? Um, and so they didn't pick up the option on my third year and I don't blame them. Um, so I went and got a job and I was a um, nursing home administrator and talk about a left turn from, from baseball. Uh, but after about five years, I just, I, I felt the calling again. And I told myself, focus on writing in, in this comeback. So if I have to, um, I'm probably going to have to uh, just blog basically, you know, um, I have, I have a WordPress account. I'm not sure what it's called. I'll let you know when it is, but um, I think that's that's the mistake I made is not staying true to the writer in me and chasing time, fame, money, all things that they can go away in a hurry. And I don't have any of those things now and, and I'm okay with it, you know, um, because I know that when we're done here, I could go sit at a table and bang out a chapter of the book that I'm working on. You know, it's about writing. Um, and so the one thing to look forward to, the concrete thing, is the book that I'm doing. I, th I think especially guys like you, you would really enjoy it. It's a memoir, and a lot of people would think, who the hell is he to write a memoir? Um, but it's not necessarily about me. It's about the way media has changed around me, you know, and it's I've kind of been on the wave the whole time, you know, got to the dot-coms just before they got big, dot-com fails, I get picked up by somebody else, then I go to TV and radio, you know, it's just, um, it's, it's crazy. I lost my train of thought again, by the way. So where are you at in this book process? When should we, uh, when should we be ready to kind of hear more about it? Um, when I'm about halfway through, if you if you want me to come back on, I mean, it's going to be, there'll be so very little, um, like nuts and bolts baseball stuff. That's why I wanted to do this because it's, um, it, it's more a collection of short stories from my career than it is just 
um, a two, 300 page narrative. And for instance, like one chapter ends with, um, starts with me and Bob, who is my, um, my, t- my teammate at USF, he was the head coach of the Slovakian baseball team. Um, and they asked him to do it full time through the 1998 European Championships. And they would pay him a salary. And he said, I'll do it, but you got to let me bring a pitching coach and you have to pay for him too. So I was at the Pacifica Tribune at the time. I get an international call from Bob Fresky. And he says, hey, can you get any vacation time? Bob? Long story short, I end up, you know, I land in Austria, a couple of players and, and Bob, you know, picked me up and we head straight to the pubs where they have super, super strong beer. And then we go to another place. I mean, I just landed. And two hours later, I'm hammered. And I think I passed out in one of the players' apartments or something. You know I'm an alcoholic, right? I mean, I'm five, I'm eight years sober. But back then, heavy, heavy drinker. So alcohol is involved in a lot of them. (laughs) Well, congratulations. Congratulations, because I know a lot of people struggle with that. And I think that's awesome that you're you're trying to get back into you know your passion and you're doing it through a book and it's great that you're you know you're definitely you know all those years sober it's awesome to hear yeah so congratulations thank you very much i mean it is um we'll see if i get through the rest of the day you know it really is there's a bunch of cliches to to a um and one of them what you know like live and let live I don't know. It sounds like a music lyric, you know, um, live and let live. It does. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking of, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, a good place for, I think young people to go and, and really learn. I, I want, I worry that good journalism is dying. Um, how do you feel about that? I'm curious. Yeah, I think that there's definitely less objectivity in journalism. I think, you know, there's there's less um, there's more opinions to go around because I think people are starting to get into the industry by um, sharing their hot takes. They think, you know, that the way to get in is through hot takes. And if I have a hot take and I tweet about it, I'm going to get a job from, you know, Barstool Sports or something like that, that thrives off hot takes, you know, right. Whereas I do think the traditional way of of getting a job in journalism is changing. It used to be where, you know, you graduate, you get a degree in journalism, you, you know, find your way at, you know, a local newspaper covering prep sports, you know, you work your way up. Uh, I think that's changed. I mean, I, I covered very little prep sports in high school and here I am, I'm, you know, spending a lot of time in the Giants press box this year. So it's, it's, it's very different. I think everybody has their path. And the traditional path is changing a little bit. Mm. Um, but the thing that I'd be worried about more than anything is the quality. It, once the quality of storytelling goes down, I think the quality of the overall product goes down. So I think we're screwed when people stop telling great stories because that for me is the backbone. And I think the athletic, and I know you've had some bylines at the at the athletic, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. They are the absolute best at storytelling right now at this point in time. Right now, today, you know, May 12th, 2022, they're the best at yeah. storytelling, at feature writing, and at telling the human side of sports. So if 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 more people could follow their lead and you know be less objective and say, you know, 
I know this is off topic, but another thing that I'm I'm really concerned about is the fact that there's more, you know, gambling that's being involved. Like yeah. I don't see that as being like who wants to write about the odds of something? How can on earth can you write about oh well, you know, Carlos Rodon of the Giants is gonna get, you know, eight and a half or more strikeouts. How do you write, you know, four hundred words about that? You know, I, I just don't see how appealing that is. And I guess, you know, it's because there's money involved. So uh, yeah. But I, I, my main thing is that as long as storytelling is good and as long as, you know, the media could do a, a great job of keeping the young fan invested and keeping the young fan attached to baseball, because right now the young fan and the young athlete, I should mention, you know, basketball and football, they look mighty popular right now. And baseball, yeah. you know, you know, should not be the third wheel anymore. And I think the media has a chance to reach out to those people and tell the human side of it. So that's yeah. my thoughts. Um, yeah. The athletic writing for them was awesome. I would love to do that full time. Um, and Kawakami knows I'm going to have to uh, rattle his cage and remind him. Yeah. Who so blocks, who has like the most people ever blocked on Twitter by the, so I saw him last year on the field and I went up to him. I said, I'm Steven Risotto. And then he's like, I'm Tim Kawakami. Nice to meet you. And I was like, I love the athletic. And then I was like, my next question, and it just came naturally. I didn't realize what I said until after. <laughs> I said, how many people on Twitter do you have blocked? I was like, do you get that question a lot? And then he's like, I get that question a lot. I have about, mm, probably about 18,000. Yeah, maybe more, maybe. I was like, 18,000? Like, that's amazing. So, Tim Cowell How many followers does he have? I don't know. <laughs> Not 18,000. <laughs> you got to do that manually, one at a time? Wow, that's that's an all day sucker right there. Yeah, I guess he's done it over time. So I don't know. It's it's insane, but yeah. Anyways, Michael, I really appreciate. It. Yeah, we'll definitely catch up. I will be your biggest fan uh, with this comeback tour, um, and I appreciate you coming on and uh, taking a few minutes and oh, a few minutes taking about an hour and hanging out. I appreciate it. Yeah, I've had a good time, man. And when I'm um, like I said, when I'm about halfway through. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a shout. I think it's something, um, like even though it's my memoir, it's not about me. It's about the experiences of, and I have a lot of life experiences, you know, like going to, like going to Slovakia. Oh, I forgot to tell you the second bar that we went to in Slovakia yeah. had water slides in chicks and bikinis and <laughs> $2 bottles of champagne. $2 bottles of champagne. That seems dangerous. A disco with a water slide. Are you kidding me? I was oh, man. It was the greatest. Yeah. Um, next next thing you know, you, you wake up in the hotel suite and you're all drenched and you smell like chlorine. You don't know what the hell went on. So. Exactly. Um, <laughs> all right. Before, before you go. Yeah. That same night um, after the water slides, we go to another place. And we're dancing, and all of a sudden, these two pretty hot chicks are dancing with me. I mean, Slovakia's women are amazing, dude. I mean, really. And they're kind of grinding on each other and grinding on me. And I see uh, our second baseman, his name's Pitsko. And I go, Pitsko, come here. And he comes, and I, I say, dude, I, I want to hook up with both of these girls, but uh, I'm sure I can't if, if I had a preference. It would be that one. Can you find out if either one of them like me? Um, and so he just walks up and whispers in their ear and they're like, yeah. 
And then he comes to me, he goes, you're all set. And I go, so which one? And he goes, both. <laughs> that was it. That was, that was the way the Slovakian national baseball team rolled. I mean, just champagne, bikinis, water slides. Of course, that's what we're doing. Big, yes. big, big Willie style. <laughs> well, we can't wait to read about it. I'll give all my fellow young journalism uh, friends a heads up about that one. I'm always, I have a huge baseball book collection, as you know, I'll let you know, I'll give you some feedback once I'm done with the, the aces book and, uh, and I'll let you know what I thought. Uh, so anyways, uh, that is Michael Urban. Uh, I appreciate uh, you guys listening. This has been episode number 104. Um, and follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter. He just like hung up. <laughs> follow the uh, podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Follow us on RizzoCast. And uh, thank you guys for listening. Subscribe and have a great day. More, more soon, I should mention. More content soon. <laughs>